Novak Djokovic is as Kasper Ruud said it yesterday when he beat him in the in the finals of the French Open said he's sometimes not human. Hello everybody. Welcome to the State of Mind podcast, bringing you conversations about mental health that change lives. My name is Mike Stroh. I'm living in long-term recovery from a variety of mental health and addiction problems. I'm a practicing psychotherapist, a public speaker, and a mindfulness teacher. My hope is that by listening to this podcast, you will learn that you are empowered by your experience, not inhibited. And through these conversations, you will get insight into how you can cultivate your innate capacity for resilience and well-being. Today's episode is a bit of an experiment where me and Dr. David Zarnett, who you've heard on the podcast many times as a co-host or as a host, where we discuss decoding the mental mastery of tennis player and Grand Slam legend Novak Djokovic. We comment on a very interesting video that compiles clips of him and some really inspiring aspects of his mental game and how he is used support by spiritual guides, therapies, coaches, meditation practices to really hone in his mind to learn how to deal with negative content, negative thoughts, and to become the all-time winning tennis Grand Slam champion. So without further ado, I bring you Decoding the Mental Mastery of Tennis Player and Grand Slam Legend, Novak Djokovic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Stars of Me channel. My name is Mike Stroh. This is my colleague, Dave. <laughs> Dave, David Zarnett. And we are going to comment on the great, I always mess up his name. So oh, Novak Djokovic. Thank you. Because as you know, on this channel, we like to talk about things that relate to mental health, psychological stability, strength, and how to increase our capacity for well-being. And often we can look to incredible human beings like Djokovic and learn some insightful things from him. So we're going to be watching a video about him created by Tennistic Productions, it looks like. That's the name of the channel. We'll link to it in the show notes, uh, who put together a great collection of videos about why Djokovic is such a hero. David. Before we go, okay, yeah. so the whole premise of our discussion, Mike, is to, is based on the assumption that we can actually, us as normal, ordinary people, can learn something from right. elite athletes, the outside, like the outliers of humanity. Yes. And maybe before we play the video, maybe we can just chat. Up. I'm just wondering your thoughts on that. Should we be looking to the outliers for insight? Novak Djokovic is, as Kasper Ruud said it yesterday when he beat him in the, in the finals of the French Open, said he's sometimes not human. <laughs> so... When you think about role models right. or people you look to, maybe not a full role model, but something, someone you can take some insight from, like, oh, I need to do a bit more of that in my yes. life, or I want to be better at this. I would, are, should we be looking to the, the Djokovic's of the, the world? Should we be looking to these, the non-representative human that is borderline not human and how they are able to perform at such a high level? Um, unlike anyone else. What do, you, what do you think of that? Yeah, that's such a good question. So yes, I do think when we think about how to improve our lives and how to become the people we want to be or to reduce the difficulties we have in our life, having role models or people we look up to or want to be like is tremendously helpful. In AA, they always say, look for a sponsor who has something that you want. In other psychotherapeutic methods, 
they often go to role models and can you try to emulate those people, emulate them in ways that are meaningful to you. So no doubt it's certainly helpful. I often talk about there's ideals. So there's ideal behaviors. So we can think about Djokovic as an ideal for a tennis player, a superhuman creation uh, that none of us should expect ourselves to be, but we can look at these people or look at ideals and try to live in alignment with those ideals while recognizing that we're not perfect and that we, it is not okay or not helpful to hold ourselves responsible or expect ourselves to be able to be that superhuman thing. Mm. It's just a pathway, a direction, something to follow. And we need that. That's what I would say. Okay, great. Thank yeah. you. Okay, should we watch? Mm -hmm. Okay, let's yeah. watch. <laughs> Here we go. The difference between good players and great players is mental strength. There are many players with good shots, but there are not that many that have good shots and great mental strength. The ability to deal with pressure and play your best tennis when you most need it is something that many players cannot achieve throughout their whole career. But of course, mental strength can be worked. And in this video, we have possibly the greatest mind in the history of the game, Novak Djokovic, who in some interviews has spoken about his development in that mental part of the game. What are his mind tricks in those clutch moments to play his best tennis when he needs it the most? And the importance of believing in yourself even if things are not going your way. All of this we're gonna see in this video. Let's just pause on that for a second. So, mm -hmm. you're a tennis player. <laughs> and you said earlier today, uh, if I want to be a better pl tennis player, playing more tennis isn't enough per se. Right. Mm -hmm. So not just so what was outlined in the video there, right, is all these tennis players are amazing. OK, it's what separates them in these intense moments of stress and frustration or ad adversity and how they work through those moments that separates them from the rest. And so there's there's a player that um, the, the author of this video is going back to a guy, um, Grigor Dimitrov, suggesting that there's a contrast between like Djokovic and sort of other players like him. Um, but I think it's worth saying that all elite tennis players, all elite athletes have incredible levels of mental strength. And Novak Djokovic is <laughs> an elite amongst those who have otherwise elite levels of mental strength. He's the elite of the elite. Right, right. So that's how insane, like that's how crazy his mental capacity is because initially there's sort of, they're, they're, he's contrast, the author's contrasting some players against the greats, but even the lesser, even those who are top 100 in the world, top 500 in the world at tennis are monsters emotionally, <laughs> absolutely disciplined, focused. If we could aspire to be anything like them, that would probably be right. that would help a lot right. of us. It doesn't have to be sort of Novak Djokovic levels. It could be right. Um, so I just wanted to I wanted to say that. So even even the so-called <laughs> lesser players are absolutely phenomenal when it comes to uh, emotional discipline and, and mental strength. Okay. I think it all starts even before you get out on the court. You know what you do to get yourself mentally prepared for the match, for you know, to get yourself in the right state of mind where you are, you know, calm, composed, serene enough, but yet you have the right intensity and the drive and motivation to, to play well and, and, and be dynamic and fast on the courts. Beautiful. So he's just pointing out it starts before you get on the court. 
And that's just I, this idea of, I guess, daily habits, practice. We have to, well, if we want to grow and become more resilient or whatever the pursuit is that we are pursuing, it takes a lot of effort and practice. It's not just when it's showtime or game time. So for any job, any profession, anything we want to do, he's just pointing to the fact that there's more than just working on the shot, working on the backhand, learning how to serve. There's a whole other realm of preparation and practice that goes into performing at one's best. Yeah. And and I think also, um, sometimes I think, I mean, I definitely make this mistake of thinking I've done my homework and I'm just going to show up at something, whether it's, you know, teaching at the University of Toronto or, you know, playing a tennis match uh, and thinking that I'm going to sort of like stumble in into that new place, like hop out of the car and and just start doing what I've been physically practicing doing for the past few months or few years. And it never ends up working like that. So even with work, I find before I have to give a lecture or, or, or run a class, I often have to go to the like I often just like go to the washroom and I'll look at myself in the mirror and say like all right let's let's go let's let's like bring bring passion bring commitment to teaching let's 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 do this the times when I don't do that for if I'm rushed if I'm stressed about something I forget it's it's hard it's it's tough for me to get up to that <laughs> level so what Novak here is talking about it with Djokovic is talking about serene you got to be serene and intense yes and that's a strange combination um so that little bit of mental prep before whatever you do whether it's tennis anything work related even if it's you know if you're gonna have a stressful conversation with a parent or a loved one if you're about to go on a date sometimes just like a few minutes of like all right where do i need to be and just get yourself going I think it's super useful. I've yeah. definitely experienced the cost of not doing that <laughs> and the benefits of doing it. It's yeah. Really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Let's keep going. Well, I can only speak on my own behalf. Obviously we spoke about uh, power of, you know, visualization and, and, and preparing yourself for possible scenarios. And I obviously try to play the match in my mind before I go on the court. Uh, and I, you know, always try to imagine myself as a winner. I think there is a power to that. And, um, but also there, there has to be next to the willpower, uh, you know, uh, strength that comes not just from your physical self, but from your, your mental and emotional self. And, and it's, I, I think it's, well, for, for me at least, it's a constant battle within, you know, more than, uh, than, than what happens outside. Uh, it's, it's really not the situations that you um, experience that are affecting you, but how you internally experience those situations how you accept them how you live through them so you know i i just told myself before the match i'm i'm you know gonna try to switch off as much as i can from what is happening around us and and just be be there be present um and you know there's not a specific formula to find the courage i mean at least in from from my perspective you you know you can go all out and just you know, cl- close your eyes and just hit the best ball as hard as you can, and then you can call that courage. But I, I you know, I wouldn't necessarily call it courage in, in some particular situation. So you need to be consistently, uh, sorry, constantly playing well throughout five hours if you want to win the match like this. So you know, uh, I guess there is an endurance part, and and but you know, I think there's always this self-belief and and and. 
you have to keep reminding yourself that that you are there for a reason and that you are better than the other guy. And as as hard as the moment you know is that you are in, you know the more you have to remind yourself, the more you have to talk to yourself. I mean that's you know that's at least in, in my case. Okay, that was a bit of a long clip. I wanted to stop it where he was just reiterating the point that it's not about what happens around you or outside of you. It's what happens inside of you and how you relate to the things that happen outside of you. And that is ultimately probably one of the most important pieces of wisdom that has been passed down to us for thousands of years from a different philosophical wisdom traditions. So you see it here. He's talking about it's not about what happens outside of you or around you. It's what happens inside of you and what you think about the things that happen to you that matters. In his case, it might be, oh, the ref called that shot out when it was actually in. And some players probably lose it in those moments, lose their focus, lose their uh, ability to perform at their best. And that's what separates as you said, David, the elite elite from the elite is their ability to work through those moments of frustration and whatnot and get back to the their performing at their best. Yeah, I really like that about his the, the battle is really on the inside. You're really fighting yourself in some ways. The other thing he said, there's two other points Djokovic made um, was one was about positive visualization. Mm. And this raises something interesting that um, some of my sort of like tennis colleagues we debate whether we should be preparing for the worst like when a match starts should you be preparing for like uh oh i'm i'm losing okay i i've saw this happen like i'm pre i've prepared for that i've prepared for not playing well i'm prepared for feeling tired i'm prepared for feeling like my body is tight or i'm distracted i'm ready for that djokovic is suggesting you have to sort of visualize being better than the other person visualize the match in a way that you're winning it and Maybe neither, maybe it's not either one or the other. Um, but I wonder in other life scenarios, like Mike, before you go mm -hmm. uh, give it, to, you know, if you, if you're give a, a lunch and learn or a talk to a client and the audio visual doesn't work, like it's one thing to be like, I'm going to give an amazing talk and everything's going to work really well. And the audience is going to give me a standing ovation and give me really great questions. But maybe we sometimes need to prepare for like, all right, my mic's not working. Someone asked a rude question. Um, the organizer's not here. Uh, so how do you, th how do you think about visualization? Should it just be only as sort of Djokovic is suggesting where it's this positive winning mentality, which I think is super important for the specifics of what he does, but maybe in other aspects of life, to what extent do we need to visualize some catastrophe <laughs> in order to address it effectively when, when it, it might sort of emerge or might show itself? Yeah, it's. I think it's important to separate this specific example of he knows he's the best or one of the best. So it, it's perhaps he has the privilege or the, that's not the right word, the uh, luxury of, of being able to visualize himself winning because he's done it so much. There is tremendous power in visualizing experience. So in some sense, we're training our minds to be in that scenario if it is to arise. And there's lots of sort of science and experience backing that up. I think visualizing the worst case scenarios or the things that could go wrong is helpful. 
Although this is gets interesting too, because we don't want to get into over worrying or catastrophizing or assuming all these horrible things are going to happen. So it, it, I think it's a bit of a balance. I think for me, the most helpful thing, probably due to my limitations uh, intellectually or psychologically, to imagine all these kind of things. For me, the best thing I can possibly do is just practice learning to be present with whatever is happening. And that goes back to what he said, the battle within versus without. So if I'm serene, as he said earlier, or if I'm relatively balanced from day to day, then when things happen that are difficult and hard, I know that I can work through those things. I do think Michael Phelps, maybe we'll do a video on him. He's another incredible specimen. And, and all these athletes are so good at the power of visualization. And I think they have a very specific task and a very specific outcome that they're seeking. So in those situations, maybe it works better, so to speak, uh, to visualize your desired outcome. Otherwise, um, I do think there's power in visualizing worst case scenarios or perhaps even just if this bad thing happens, here's how I will respond. Mm -hmm. Right. That kind of thing, as opposed to trying to imagine some specific outcome. I'm not sure. And that it makes sense. Yeah, it may, it makes a lot of sense. It it sounds like what you're getting at is the relationship between visualization and skill development. So you can't just visualize doing something or preparing for a certain set of conditions or circumstances. You also have to practice those skills to be able to perform in a certain way. Mm. So probably what I don't know if I don't know if Djokovic will mention this later in the clip, but he he trains so hard at specific shots and specific say footwork patterns and specific movements so he can then visualize himself doing those things mm -hmm. he's practicing the things that he's visualizing himself doing so i think that also is re a really important piece i think you i think visualization on its own probably doesn't work you probably have to practice you know if you're giving a talk maybe you say that or or you're going on a date or you're about to or a job interview or whatever you sort of have to practice some of the things you might say yes. in a mirror yes just so you have that skill in your mind ready to sort of be you know be sort of applied in the moment um and then that combined with visualization can be very powerful but i think sometimes maybe we can't do visualization if we don't have the skill if we're not practicing that right. specific skill right. on its own yeah in more maybe calmer controlled situations right right because then it can spill off into unbalanced worrying and that kind of thing yeah or i or i can visualize playing well but if i haven't practiced right then my visualize then then you can start <laughs> right. to really get into right, some bad right, mental right, habits right, of right. like wait i visualized doing so great and now look at me i must be a loser <laughs> as opposed to no no i just didn't physically and prepare in, in the right way yeah so the relationship between mental and physical preparation is super interesting yes yes and he sort of mentioned that earlier too i think yeah all right let's keep going i wanted to talk to you about uh clutch moments when you're in those situations how do you avoid distractions uh, consciously breathing first. That's that's probably the the simplest thing that you could do, but probably the most effective. I think the experience of being in this particular situation so many times before in my career helps me every next time that I have to face the adversity and face the distractions and you know my thoughts and what ifs and fears and, and so forth. I think everyone goes through that thought process. It's just, um, and, and I don't think it's particularly bad. I was thinking it's, it's bad, so I was trying to um, ignore it or I was trying to shut it down. 
But I think the major transformation in a positive way for me started when I was starting to acknowledge it and, and, and accept it as, as part of me. It's, it's, it's there, my ego is there, my fears are there, everything is there. It's present, but then how will I address it in a way that is going to help me to overcome that, to transform it into positive fuel that is going to help me overcome the clutch moments that you talked about, um, just feel happy and joyful and present on the court and get the best out of that experience. Just noticed the first thing he said there was my breath. <laughs> we don't acknowledge enough the power of our breath when I'm working with clients one-on-one -on -one, or really in any scenario where we're trying to build some mental stability or flexibility or resilience. The breath is always right underneath our nose. It's right in front of us and it is tremendously powerful. So I love that he mentioned that. And then he goes in, clearly he's met with therapists or teachers or train like mind training or whatever, because then he goes on to state one of the other most important lessons to learn about our psychology is he said initially he probably tried to push away his negative thoughts or make them go away or whatever. And then he transitioned into this turning to the negativity. He uses the word ego to turning to the discomfort, turning to these negative narratives we have in our mind. And rather than pushing them away, accepting them as part of us, allowing them in, not running from them. And that is a that is the core of most psychotherapies really is how do we face the things that we don't like, not run from them, integrate them into who we are so that we can then move on. Um, yeah. To build on that, I think what's, what's interesting is um, how in the sort of the mental health space, the, the spiritual space, there's always the, the P word used, which is practice, <laughs> like br breathing practices, mindfulness practices. So it's like, you know, I would practice, my tennis stroke in preparation for something. I would practice my breathing and practicing my ability to be mindful in preparation. So I think I think what's super important here, and I, th I think it's relevant to like maybe the previous point I made about developing those skills, like mindful breathing or being able to enter a more meditative state where you can sort of see your thoughts as passing clouds that sort of in one ear, out another, or whatever metaphor you'll, you'll use is not something that you can just do, right? Right, Especially when things are stressful, especially when you're in a, what, what the interviewer asked Djokovic here about when you're in a clutch situation. It's, it's so challenging to control your thoughts, control your, your body and to control your breathing because those things are, are powerful biological forces that are operating sort of sometimes independently of our own, my, our own hmm. conscious thoughts. Um, so getting a hold of those, I think, like on, on our own time matters. So like spending five or 10 minutes meditating a few minutes here and there, practicing different breathing exercises. So when it comes to entering a difficult tennis match, an interview, whatever, that's, that's tough. You sort of have this little tool you can put it, pull out of your, your toolbox and it, it's refined and ready to go. Um, yeah. I bet he does a ton of practice. I know he meditates. I think he'll talk about it in a second. Yeah. He's got to do a ton of breathing exercises because you can't just breathe in the finals of Wimbledon <laughs> without having done a ton of work developing that skill. Yeah. Yeah. And John Kabat-Zinn, a very famous mindfulness teacher, doctor, points this out in, in his book, wherever you go, there you are. But he talks about we can't just say we'll be mindful when we get triggered. We Because our yeah. the biological forces 
influencing those moments are so strong that just saying we'll be mindful or to breathe or whatever is useless. And that just, this is in the context of him describing practice and the biggest barrier to one's lifelong practice is the thinking mind. So all these things, I shouldn't do this. I don't need to do this. No, I need to work on my forehand today. You know, Djokovic probably has to fight that all the time. No, no, no. I need to work on my backhand. I need to work on my volley. And no, I need to sit down and breathe because clearly the breathing or whatever practices he does help him so much. So this, that balance of expanding our practices, being disciplined about them and yeah. honoring that we can't just call on them if we don't practice. The worry, the worry I have sometimes with my own sort of like daily existence is what am I, what habits am I in, inadvertently laying down in my brain, right? So like if I'm on YouTube, I'm trying to find something specific, but then I get sort of trapped in some of these YouTube shorts or like, oh, there's this video and I open that, that tab and oh, there's another video open this tab. And suddenly I'm wiring inadvertently a bit of attention deficit patterns, right? Where I got all this stuff. Yeah, I'm yeah. so distracted. But meanwhile, I'm the, the ultimate goal of what I'm trying to do, to, at least in, in times of teaching, in times of tennis, in times of being with my, with my wife or with my, with my daughter is to be focused. So sometimes thinking about all the other sort of mindless times that we're spending and what that might be doing to our own uh, emotional patterns is, is useful and trying to clean up some of those. Like even those little moments when you're, you have a bit of a break, you're like, all right, how am I going to spend this time? Or catching yourself when you're like, oh, you know what? I'm sort of like doom scrolling hmm. or I'm, I'm getting trapped in this sort of this choice between YouTube clips to watch. And like, no, 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 hold on. This is just reinforcing a, a sort of a cognitive pattern that I don't want. And I'm going to stop. Right. And I think that's super useful. So I sometimes think about all the sort of the inadvertent things I've done and how I need to clean that up. Yeah. And if you relate that to him in a tennis match, it's like mm. getting distracted by someone chirping him in the audience or the ref calling things in a way that he doesn't like or who knows, whatever. But that's a similar. How do we maintain our focus on what we're trying to do in the moment mm -hmm. that aligns with our ultimate goals and pursuits? Mm -hmm. Should we keep going? Let's do it. All right. How, how do you do it? Well, I, I practice a lot of mindfulness. Um, so, you know, meditation, you know, journaling, talking with my team, with my parents, with my wife, with, with everybody who is around me, trying to address certain, um, with my, of course, uh, life coaches that I have, um, spiritual guides and that I have as well that help me um, address certain emotional you know uh, issues or traumas or whatever it is that 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 uh, tend to appear on the court so when it appears on a break point when I'm facing a match point or break point or you know clutch moments uh, they do tend to surface but they are they uh, I, I, ma I managed to, to to gain the control over them much quicker and I managed to to impose my positive affirmation and positive feeling, uh, or if that doesn't happen, then I just try to be uh, conscious that I have to accept that moment that that's going to happen, but I focus on my breathing and I focus on being in the moment and, and what needs to be done next moment, which is playing the right shot, positioning myself well on the court, and just focusing on executing the point right. It just takes uh, years of uh, devoted practice mentally not just physically uh, and you have to do it you can't expect others to really 
um, fix your emotional or mental issues. They can um, encourage you and they can empower you um, and they can understand you and they can give you tools, but you have to use those tools and do it the right way. Just pause there for a second to reiterate this whole point of really it is up to us, right? This channel is called Starts With Me. That's exactly what he's talking about right there. Doesn't mean, as he clearly described, we can't do these things alone. We can't change alone. We need help. We need guidance. We need teachers. We need coaches, as he clearly described. And at the same time, there is a responsibility on us to do the things, to practice. As he said, it takes years of practice, so it takes time. And that's contrary to our impulsive desires for quick fixes and to make the pain go away and to all of a sudden become something that we're not. And that clearly, not to get lost in it, but is reflected in common discourses throughout the world right now around other people need to change so I can feel better. And that's just not how it works. He's, Mike, you just touched on this. He's making such an interesting point about the relationship between sort of like the social determinants of one's mental health and the individual determinants of one's mental health. So mm -hmm. on one hand, he has a huge team. What did he mention? Um, right. He life coaches, spiritual guides, a, a dedicated tennis coach, physiotherapists, a wife, right. friends. He's got a ton of people that he he goes to that he relies on. Um, but at the same time, he's making the important. So, you know, on one hand, the, the, one of the strongest, most, you know, physically strong, emotionally strong individuals in the world relies deeply on other people. So sometimes I hear with, you know, friends and colleagues, they say like, oh, I'm, you know, going to a therapist is a sign of weakness. I need to be more self-reliant mm. when that's probably not. That's probably not true, right? I think the strongest people know that they need to rely on and go to other people for, for guidance. Um, but that needs to be balanced out with, like you said, individual commitment to doing what you need to do each day uh, to move forward, whether it's more mindfulness, more practice, more discipline in, in X, Y, and Z, whatever is going to get you to where you need to go. So the combination of the two, individual discipline mm -hmm. and deep social connections to those who can provide you with a really meaningful wisdom on how to live. That's a I think that's very powerful. Beautiful. So Beautiful. you're not in this alone. You can't, you can't do this alone. Yeah, correct. Right. And you have to do a lot on, on your own, yes. but you can't do it. How would yeah, you frame yeah, that? Yeah. yeah. We can't do, I think you said it well, we can't do it alone. We need other people. And at the same time, it's our responsibility to do the things that we know we need to do to get there. And you, I think you said it really nicely there. Should we keep, let's keep watching. Yeah. yeah that in those moments of when you're facing adversity and when you're challenged um, you should always look inside because that's where the answer lies I did not understand that fully I heard that before but I think when I went through this journey I understood really what that what that means and now I know where I can always find strength um, and belief and motivation to to get me going thank you very much for this wonderful evening. Thank you very much, Maurice. I appreciate it. Thank you to the creator, who we mentioned before, Tennis Productions, for making that video. Great job. And again, as he said, the answers are within. He didn't know that in the beginning, or he learned that over time. It always is a practice. We get lost in the seeking the answers outside, and it doesn't take away from the practical things of getting a coach, getting a 
guide or whatnot. It's the and, and. It's not an either or. It's and this, and this, and this. And I, now I remember what I was going to say. For people who don't have access to coaches and spiritual guides and therapists and all that kind of stuff, that sucks, no doubt. And certainly he has the luxury of that, and many people do. If that's not your situation, there are still many places and sources of information out there that can help you, whether or not it's to the privileged nature of, of a Djokovic or someone else. There are many things out there that can help you. Start with where you're at. What is in front of you? A book, a library, YouTube has a ton of stuff. The internet has a ton of stuff. So you got to start somewhere and you can't use that as an excuse to not pursue help and change. Yeah, I think that's a really, really important point that we, we, all, we do have access. There, are, there is stuff around us that we just need to sometimes recognize it. Um, the other thing I think is worth, worth mentioning about Djokovic is he is, he is so far from perfect. So he has had, if you watch and if you sort of are interested in him mm. and you start to go through YouTube clips of his play, there's so many cases where he's smashed rackets in the middle of a match, has had huge meltdowns. Um, he's had a very complicated, complex relationship with tennis fans. His rivals, uh, Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, have always been more popular and he's always struggled with that. And he has always, I think, and he would probably admit this, he hasn't always managed that as well. So he's by far not a, a perfect human being. And I think that's, so we started this by saying, should we compare ourselves to like this, like the superhuman nature of Djokovic? He's probably so human in so many ways. He's, he, is, he doesn't always live up to his, his aspirations and his deals. He's always battling himself. Um, in the post-game interview, post-match interview he gave last night after his big victory in the French Open, he said to his team, he said, I'm so sorry for torturing you over the last two weeks. I know I'm like a lot, a lot to deal with. I'm very difficult to deal with, especially under stressful conditions of a big uh, major tournament. So he, he asks a lot of the people around him. He, he's probably difficult. He's probably not always nice. He's probably not always compassionate. Um, he's not always probably um, understanding of other people's concerns. Mm -hmm, and he's, mm -hmm. you know, he's very hard driving, both of himself and other people around him. Um, so just, I think that it's just important maybe to cap that, that our, this discussion off with, with some of that, saying like he's not someone to be like, oh, you know, wow, he's perfect. He's not. He's just a human like the rest of us battling ourselves, battering, battle, battling our external environment and just trying to figure out a way forward and trying to achieve some of our objectives. Um, so I think his moments of honesty are really beautiful. Like even those moments of where he's saying like, these are all the things I've done, but also reflecting on his, his human nature, his, his, the fact that he's not easy and that he struggles with many things as well. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, sorry, the, it'll beautiful. be interesting to see yeah. how he deals with his post tennis life. Tennis gives him purpose structure. What do you do? When that is now, when he retires and he no longer has training to structure his day or that next tournament, then how strong are you, right? So when, you're, when your sort of main hobby or main thing has been taken away from you, how do you sort of, how, how do you have a source of mental strength that isn't dependent on one thing, right? Mm -hmm. Or how do you have mental strength that's not dependent on one source is what I meant to say. Yeah. Um, so for Novak, for Djokovic, um, tennis is it. When he retires, when he gets too old to compete at the level he wants, then what? And I think there's some lessons there we can learn about, okay, how, how do we diversify our, you know, our 
our sources of inspiration, our sources of insight. And so when one falls off due to aging, due to the dynamic nature of life, we don't, we don't fall apart. Right. Which goes back to, in essence, one of the roots of this whole talk or video or his, what he said is training mental stability Mm. and awareness turning inward for the answers. If we continually practice that and honor that and own that as inherently valuable, then ideally speaking, okay, whatever comes our way, we'll be in a position to deal with that to the best of our ability. And that's such an important reminder. And just to reiterate some of the things you just said, Dave, about the humility and the honesty that comes from these things his ability to acknowledge his own shit and and talk about that and address that is wonderful. And as he said earlier, all parts of ourselves are welcome and need to be integrated to be our best selves. And that's super duper important. Going back to a little bit, tying up that visualization. Do we visualize the good, the bad, the what? Accepting ourselves for who we are as imperfect beings, the good and the bad is part of developing this resilience and this, courage and sort of fortitude so that we're not pushing things away. We can see them clearly. We can acknowledge them and say them out loud. And then they lose their grip on us. That's the beautiful thing. So yeah, that was fun. That was great. Thanks for listening. I don't know if you have anything else to say. No, I've said too much. Thank thank you, Mike. Thank you. Like, subscribe, all those other things, share this, and we'll see you back another time with another video. Take it easy. Bye.